0: in daniel chapter 9 verse 24 it says 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin to atone for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place today we're doing some new math or old math not really sure this is day 17. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to the Journey Through Daniel podcast. I'm here with Brendan Lang, our author, and Ken Norton. Let's... Go, our student pastor. I don't know if you could tell, he's still doing the underscore with the go. What? <laughs> Nothing, you're good. Oh, the you? Undersc- uh, yeah, you can just keep going. Just, if you could just how long the rest you can do of this. that,
1: I was going to try to do that for as long as I Do it for could. 70
0: times 77s. Seven That'd be great. Hey, how are you guys doing?
2: Great.
1: Super. Just a
0: few days left. Day 17.
1: Living the dream. Is today day 17?
0: Yeah, today's day 17. We are finishing up the beginning of what Daniel's prayer and vision and... We're finishing up the prayer from yesterday. And Daniel is, he's in some places, but I have a question to start us out. When you guys were in high school, what was like your favorite or least favorite class that you took?
1: We'll go with the more positive vibes. My favorite class was a chemistry class because of the teacher mr hathy he was a offensive lineman coolest student in the world mm. also we got his gamer tag for xbox oh, so no. we used to, yeah <laughs> they tried to hold on to it for a really long time and then a little group of us students found it out and we played xbox all the time it was the coolest thing in the world
0: oh that would be really yeah. pretty
1: great I, those are just a high memories. school
0: teacher that'd be super fun
1: i know the feeling now, being a student faster yeah but it's the funnest thing in the world to get on hang out with students i'm glad
0: yeah. that was your favorite class
1: yeah he was the man
0: brendan what about you
1: agriculture <laughs> no
0: there were no ag Hort- classes it's horticulture and it uh, wasn't in school it was in the yes, field like hands-on
2: learning yeah i would say honestly probably like band or choir but it's not because i mean i like them but it's more like i would go spend my study halls in the band room because that's where we'd actually play xbox
1: well we yeah. got some connections here you're a singer I'm a singer. Do people know that about B. Leg? I don't know.
2: Maybe we should have a he's sing. also
1: a worship. You've led worship, correct?
2: Last time I worked at a church, the wow. church I worked at before. He's this. leading worship. It's a Travis. I was a, a youth pastor too. I was the worship slash youth guy. That's the standard number two role. So I should learn church. how to
0: play guitar. You already play guitar.
1: I certainly you do. he does play yeah. guitar. I had my debut. i multi- see a future talented for you. group here. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Well, maybe day 20 we'll get Brendan singing on the podcast. <laughs> oh, be, that's. What about you, Taji? What
1: was your favorite class?
0: I mean, I had a lot of really favorite classes. People really loved me. In high school. I'm kidding. I was annoying. Just like I am today. Probably my favorite class was a physics class because uh, again, a teacher, my teacher, Mr. Scott, Dr. Scott, he was the only doctor in, <laughs> in our high school. And he's just like very dry sense of humor, but like very normal and treated students very normal. And so like you could just be real and like make fun of them and he'd make fun of you. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just a mutual, like very chill hangout. I would spend just random time in this yeah. classroom. And, it's
2: usually the best teachers. Like yeah. it's not
0: because of the classes. Got to take this opportunity yeah. to show Shout out to the teachers who are doing distance learning still. You guys are the real heroes. That's right. Prayers up to you. For real.
1: My goodness. Everybody
0: doing e-learning at home is like, how do they do this with more than one kid? And when they have kids at their home too. It's unbelievable. But I mean, my least favorite class was this math class that I took just to fill time my senior year. It was like an algebra class, which I knew how to do very well. But it was actually a class that you had already
2: passed. You mm-hmm. just took it again. no, it was like I, the
0: next level up. Yeah. And it was just like, here's a new way to look at it that'll prepare you for college. And I was like, this isn't prepare you for college. Mm-hmm. Like I took AP and I took that. And so I was like, this is pointless. Mm-hmm. But math wasn't my favorite. But it sounds like it's the angels' favorite today. <laughs> He's doing a lot of multiplication and Fun stuff. all stuff of numbers flying yeah. out today, and they're a little bit confusing, so maybe the theologian can make sense of the math for we'll, me today. Well, will at least make it fun for everybody.
2: Good. How about that? Great. Good luck. <laughs> like any good teacher, Brandon, go. why don't you take us through the commentary for Day 17? Day 17, the 77s. Today's reading continues the occasion of Daniel 9. We've seen Daniel praying to God after reflecting on Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 years of captivity. Now, Daniel receives a vision from the angel Gabriel, which reveals more about the exile of the people of God. In Daniel 9.24, Gabriel says, "77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place." In other words, exile was not entirely over for the people of God. They would return to the land of Judah, but even there, their suffering would continue for 77s. The phrase seventy-sevens has been subject of endless debate. Most scholars agree that the phrase means seventy seven-year intervals, or 490 years. They draw this conclusion by comparison with Leviticus 25.8, which talks about how an event known as the year of Jubilee should occur after seven seven seven-year intervals, or 49 years. Beyond that, scholars have offered endless interpretations about when this 490-year period might begin and end. Verses 25 through 27 complicate things even more. Those verses subdivide the 490 years into periods of 49 years, 434 years, and 7 years. No matter when this 490-year period is thought to begin or end, it is virtually impossible to line up all these timeframes with dates of significance in Jewish and Christian history, if that is even the correct understanding in the first place. Instead of trying to force the numbers to add up, it is probably best to interpret Daniel 77s as theological math, a common phenomenon in the Bible where the significance of a number is not in its numerical value, but in what it symbolically conveys. A good example of this is in Matthew 18, 21-22, which uses the same numbers as Daniel 9. When Peter asks Jesus if he should forgive someone up to seven times, Jesus responds, No, not seven times, but seventy times seven. The point isn't that Peter should forgive someone precisely 490 times, and that would be enough. Given that the number seven often conveys ideas of completion or perfection in the Bible, and much more than number 490, the point is that Peter should forgive as many times as is necessary. In a similar way, Daniel 9 seems to be expressing that at the complete and perfect time, God would act on behalf of his powerless people. This is certainly how Jesus and the New Testament writers understood the mission of Jesus. As Paul writes in Romans 5, 6, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So rather than spending our time attempting to calculate exactly when certain events did or may yet take place, we should instead spend our energies creating communities that demonstrate the qualities that God has required of his people since the beginning. Justice, righteousness, and self-giving love.
0: For day 17, we're reading Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 through 27. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the Word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, the Ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the Anointed One will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the Ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him." Ken, do you want to take us through our discussion questions for Day 17?
1: Question 1. Daniel 9.21 indicates that Daniel received an answer to his prayer while he was still praying. Why do you suppose God was so quick to speak to Daniel? Question 2. Many scholars see the details of Daniel 9.26-27 as describing the events of 171-164 BC when Antiochus IV Epiphanes killed an anointed priest, put an end to Jewish worship, and installed an abomination that causes desolation in the temple. If this is the case, then in Mark 13, Jesus reapplied these symbols to his first century context because many similar things were happening in his own day. He as God anointed would be killed and the Jerusalem temple would be destroyed by the Romans. Why do you suppose history seems to repeat so often? What does the end of this vision, and really all the visions of Daniel, teach us about the end of each cycle of history?
0: Well, Gabriel comes and he's bringing the swift flight, but he's also bringing a bunch of math. Brendan, what's going on with this math? I don't totally understand why all these numbers are necessary. What do you mean? there's seven sevens and then there's 62 times the seven and if you carry the three
2: after <laughs> leave the square, remainder square, yeah right you need to pay attention more in algebra i think well i think that i was a senior and i had senioritis and i think you're right but you don't know me i feel attacked i know how many journeys have we done together i don't know you were known we lost track so let's just like back up and i just want to name here for those who are listening and if you read this before you listen to us this is one of the hardest passages in the book of daniel i'd say it's probably the second hardest passage
0: i mean it's hard for me to just to just read it seven verses. It's like convoluted. Kind It feels very, it's like somebody wrote down notes on a notepad and they were like, yeah, throw that in the Bible.
2: So one thing I would do, I would recommend with reading this passage and really the rest of Daniel, but especially these hard passages is getting your hands on a good commentary or study Bible. I've got a list of those in the book, but especially one that I found really helpful for understanding this is the NIV cultural backgrounds study Bible. The notes for this part specifically were written by a guy named Ernest Lucas, and he's one of my favorite Daniel scholars. I think he has some helpful thoughts. And so So I'd recommend just getting something like this to help you walk through these verses verse by verse. And we'll try to help out here today, but I think that can be a lot of help. So just to rehash kind of what we've got here, we've got Gabriel showing up. Daniel's been praying. He's been confessing the sins of Israel. He's meditating on the book of Jeremiah. That's what we know. Jeremiah was a prophet who is contemporary, came a little bit before Daniel. And he talked about how there would be a 70 year period where the people of God would go into exile as a result of their sins. This is now about the end of that 70 years. 70 years, probably we should think of that number as a round number that's symbolic. They're what actually symbolized. Well, I mean, you said in that commentary,
0: but I, let's pretend like I wasn't listening just like an algebra.
2: Well, 70 years in Scripture represents a lifetime. Seven is also the good symbolic number. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit, but there's the 70-year period. Daniel is meditating on the book of Jeremiah, Praise to God confession in hopes that they're going to return, exile is going to be over, and they're going to be restored. What Gabriel reveals is that no, no, know, there's been 70 years, but there's actually going to be seven more 70 years. There's these 77s. And I have altered the deal. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that actually they misunderstood the significance of the 70 years. There's mm-hmm. actually a verse in Leviticus 26 where God talks about actually the punishment that Israel would receive if they didn't follow his covenant. And part of that punishment is they'd go into exile. One verse in there actually highlights the fact that this might happen seven times over. This is Leviticus 26, 28. Then in my anger, I'll be hostile toward you and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. So it could be that what he's getting at is that there's a sevenfold exile. This is what one Old Testament scholar, John Golden Gay, suggests at least. So there's going to be 70 sevens, and this is actually broken up then into three segments. There's seven sevens, then there's 62 sevens, and then there's one more seven. So if you're following along, that all adds up to 70 sevens, right? There it is. So we talked about this idea of theological math. Is this exciting for you, by the way? I'm thrilled. (laughs) I'm over here. Kenny I just
1: just woke Ah. up from I am
2: not playing games on a TI-83 plus over here. So one of the things I would just want to point out about numbers and chronology, oftentimes the Bible, the Bible isn't always this way, but oftentimes chronology is presented theologically. We get theological history. This is what my thesis was about on Genesis 5, what's going on with some crazy numbers in there. But the number seven specifically is a number that very often in scripture has symbolic connotations, has ideas of completion, of perfection. We have the seven days in Genesis 1, but we also have many, many more sevens in Genesis 1, the first verse. We have talked about this, Kenny, before in our BK podcast, if you remember.
1: Oh, at Impact?
2: Yeah, you remember this? We absolutely did. We talked about how verse one has seven words in Hebrew, how mm-hmm. verse two has 14 words, how all sorts of key words throughout the book appear in sevens or multiples of seven. And the point of that number in that passage is essentially this idea that what God made was complete, it was whole, it was perfect, it was good, which is what the chapter says over and over and over again. God made it and he saw that it was good. And this is a theme we see throughout Scripture, the number seven conveys ideas of completion and perfection. And so when you see 77s, we should already start to think that what is going to be talked about, this period, is not necessarily a strict 490-year period. It could be a long period of time, but a period that we should think of through a theological lens and not a purely yeah. historical lens.
1: Why so long?
2: Why so long? Yeah,
0: like 490 years, if they to take it literally. Seems you know. a little
1: bit
2: rough. Yeah, it seems kind of rude. I don't have a good answer for that. Because you're oh. not God? Is it? Is it because you're not God? Yep. And I would say some people probably don't view this exactly as 490 more years of exile. Again, there are lots of ways to interpret this. But it's clear to me that as you read this part of Daniel and other parts of Scripture, and then getting in, even into the New Testament period, we talked about the book of Mark several months ago we did our last journey study. In the book of Mark, we've talked about these connections with the book of Daniel. Well, one of the connections is this idea that this is a time of exile for the people of God. Mark presents it as though they are still in a sort of... Of exile. This is why he quotes Isaiah 40 in the opening verses of the book of Mark, because he's basically saying that what is happening with the arrival of Jesus is he's bringing about the end of an exile. Isaiah 40 is a chapter in the Old Testament that marks, you might say, the end of exile. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You've paid for your sins.
0: Well, and the other connection to the New Testament is this idea in Matthew where they're like, you know, how many times should I forgive? And it's like, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Again, it's like an imperfect many yeah. numbers. And it does harken back to some of these scriptures that they would have likely had by then and Mm -hmm. there is like this piece of it is like forgiveness tied to exile Mm -hmm. and like what's the relationship between that even it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting to me that's just something that popped out when i was reading absolutely another thing that popped out to me is just the second half of the reading today like kind of chapters 26 and on this all seems like a bullet point list that we can just point to and be like well here's the end of the world this feels oddly specific what's actually happening with this message that gabriel's giving
2: So we've talked about this idea that this is theological math. Another way you could describe this is chronography. It's a way of writing history, a way of recording chronology. We have ways of recording chronology in our world today. When you read a history book in high school, you expect that there's a certain way that numbers are going to be calculated, history is going to be recorded. There are other ways to record chronology. This is a theological explanation of what's going on. Let's just go ahead and walk through these verses. It says in verse 25, No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the Anointed One. That word translated as Anointed One, it's the word Messiah, a Mashiach. It could be read as a Messiah, and that's important. Hmm. We'll come back to that. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until a Messiah or the Messiah, the ruler or a ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Basically what he's saying is there's going to be this period of seven sevens or 49 years, and there's going to be this individual that rises up who is a messianic type of figure. Now, we think of Jesus as being the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the perfect Messiah. But it's important to know that the word Messiah simply means someone who's been anointed by God. And in the Old Testament period, there were different individuals who were anointed. Priests were anointed. Kings were anointed. Isaiah forty-five one talks about Cyrus, king of Persia, an individual we've talked about in the book of Daniel. He is described as a Messiah. And so it could be actually that this is a reference to Cyrus and the decree he would make, the word that he he would send out to return to Jerusalem and ultimately to rebuild it. And so a lot of times we want to jump to Jesus with our understanding of this passage, but it could be referring to individuals in Daniel's time or soon after. Cyrus being someone who roughly 49 years after Daniel went into exile was someone who arose to the throne of the Persian kingdom.
0: The other way I've you know heard this anointed one referred to as like the Antichrist in the end times, yes. or like tribulation or
2: something Shh. like that, the left yeah. behind series. Well, Well, we'll get, let's talk about that. So let's keep on reading. So seven sevens, and then it says after the 62 sevens, there will be an anointed one, not definite, indefinite, who will be put to death and will have nothing. Now That sounds a lot like Jesus. Jesus is a Messiah who's put to death and has nothing. It goes on. The people, the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So there are yeah, two I ways... I have had you read the scripture today. <laughs> it seems <crushed> like it <laughs> makes a lot of sense to you. Yeah, well, we're going to walk back and talk through it. So there are a couple of time periods we can think about here. There's this time period we've focused on in the past, roughly 171 to 164 BC, a seven-year period, when Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, this tyrant king from the north, comes in and basically does all the things that's described here. He desecrates the temple. He sets up an abomination within the temple. He murders murders Jews for being faithful to God. And he actually murders someone who is anointed by God. He murders a high priest, Onias. Mm. In 171 BC, that's what kickstarts, you might say, a seven-year period. That ends in 164 BC. In the middle of that seven-year period, that's when he desecrates the temple. That's when he ends Jewish worship. So 171 BC, he kills an anointed one. 167 BC, he desecrates the temple. And then 164 BC, he dies, he's kicked out, and the temple is rededicated. And this is a holiday we now celebrate today called Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple. And these are all things that this passage seems to be getting at. Now it's not exactly 490 years after the events that started with the exile, but this is many centuries later. So Kenny, you asked this question about Mm -hmm. like, why does this relate to Jesus? Why does Jesus quote all this? And it seems to me that Jesus is picking up the book of Daniel and recognizes that many of the things described here are similar to what's going on in his own day. He is the true anointed who's put to death, there is an abomination of desolation. This is what he talks about in Mark 13. And there is an end to sacrifice and offering. This is what happens when the temple is destroyed. These are all things he talks about in Mark 13. So Jesus picks up this language and understands that even though this related specifically, perhaps to this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, it refers also to things going on in his own day. And this is what you get to do. Maybe sometimes with theological math, the symbolism, the ambiguity of language like this allows you to relate it to different time periods, different events in history.
0: One well, like, you're not trying to be perfect about it. Like, if you want to
2: find the historically accurate version of this, it's there. Like, yep. you know, we have history, we have other sources we can, you know. You can read the book of Maccabees. I actually really recommend it, honestly. If you pick up First Maccabees and you just read the first few chapters, chapters 1 through 4, this is all going to help make a lot of sense of things we've been talking about and things in the book of Daniel.
0: So you can figure that out. Yep. But I think what we're trying to do here is grab themes out of this, right? And understand, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, how apocalyptic literature can also be political cartoon literature of a way to look at it. So let's take a step back away from this prayer and the vision that Daniel has with Gabriel. What are
2: we supposed to be gathering and learning from this? Like, What are we supposed to be taking from this whole story here? what I take from this it doesn't sound very hopeful but what I see in here is a message of hope because you have to remember what's the context for the people who are receiving this vision what's the context for generations of peoples who are going to be reading this vision it's context of oppression it's the context where foreign emperors move in and dominate people and crush them and when that's your lived experience the one thing that can give you hope is that this is going to come to an end that God sees it and in his own time he's going to bring it to an end and so I think that's the message the other thing I want to point out is that there's this vision of a better future of a time of liberation if you think about 490 years there's something in scripture called a jubilee a jubilee is a 49 year period where there would be liberation where there would be freedom where debts would be paid debts would be forgiven I would almost think we, of it I wish it, we should do so that.
1: All, I feel like some we
0: shouldn't love it everything, <laughs> yeah, everything be, would
1: start over
2: well yeah it was a way of
1: like with land and everything if someone like owed someone something yeah you, was, you would get it back
2: yeah so you go into debt a lot of times what you would do is you'd sell off your land or you'd even sell yourself into slavery. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a 49-year period, things would be reset. It was a way of actually helping prevent cyclical poverty.
1: It's like once in a lifetime you it's, would experience this.
2: Maybe twice. Well, if yeah, you... depends it depends. I mean, back, sounds... then, back then it's probably once. And Israel didn't always follow it. But what we have here is, in some ways, you might say a jubilee of jubilees. It anticipates a time when there would be freedom. when The these... ultimate jubilee. Yeah, the ultimate jubilee when you would have an end to sin, an atonement for wickedness, the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. And these are things that, obviously, Makes so much sense in the context of Jesus. Now, again, there's wickedness that's brought to a specific end when Antiochus's reign is ended in 164 BC. But what Jesus does, Jesus takes this to another level. It's like you have a picture and then he colors it in. He shows what this looks like to a whole nother degree. And he brings about a jubilee of jubilees.
0: You know, the other thing we've been doing is we've been looking at the characters in this, a little bit more difficult to do because you've mm-hmm. got an angelic being here
1: who's coming swiftly, swiftly coming yeah. in.
0: What other characters are in this and how can we relate? Relate to them is really the question. You've got Daniel praying still. You've got Israel who needs to be atoned for, and he's apologizing for them yesterday and really asking how they can be redeemed
2: and be forgiven. And then you've got an angelic being. What am I missing? Well, you're missing an anointed one or two anointed ones. You're mm-hmm. missing a ruler who comes in and dominates people. And you're missing the people who follow the ruler, who get led astray by the ruler, make a covenant with him, who live faithlessly, who aren't the Daniels, who aren't the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednegoes.
0: Ken, so, which one are you? Which character? Which character you am know, I? You
2: Brendan just said some of the other people. You've got anointed ones. You've well, got... I'd like
1: to be on the good side. Totally. You know, I'd yeah. like to be the one that would stand up for the little guy or for the minority. And I think that's difficult because you have to have eyes to see it and you can quickly miss it.
0: Yeah, I think that's the nature of blind spots too, right? Like you could be the one oppressing and just like not know We talked know it about that cause...
1: before where it's like put someone in your life so that you can figure that out. But I feel like I've just meditated on that. And I think in the past few years of being in ministry and learning, is a huge part of it is to sit and meditate and take your time and come to a conclusion where you feel like, okay, like maybe God is calling me to do something and really listening instead of always jumping into something thinking you know it. What does it look like to sit and to listen and to pray in that way? And then hopefully God will open my eyes as well. And, you know, I'm sure we all are like this in life we're like, we're the rulers, we're the ones holding on to power, we're the ones who are crushing others, and we don't recognize it, we don't see it.
0: And the other thing is, we also named that none of us are any one character, right? We're yeah, taking traits and characteristics from everybody, and it's this blend of different colors and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
2: sometimes your lived experience is that of the oppressed, you've been hurt, you feel like you've been wronged in ways. It's very easy to see when you were Daniel, yeah. you know? It's very easy. When
1: it's happening to you, yeah, and like, you're being oppressed, yeah. Yeah,
2: and again, like, we have to acknowledge we're three white males living in suburban America. We are not like (laughs) we really aren't depressed. But when you feel like you've been wronged, it's easy to see that. It's a lot harder to see when you are the Antiochus, when you are the ruler who comes in, whether it's Antiochus or the Roman Emperor who comes in, Pilate and the priests who put Jesus on a cross. It's a lot harder for you to see that you are the one that's wrong in those situations.
0: When well, I think Stephen Kelly said something really good early on in this study is like, are you doing harm? Are the things that you're enacting or the actions that you're taking, do they do harm? And that's just like such a good lens for me that I've used throughout this whole book to like really analyze, all right, for my actions here, am I doing harm to anyone? But especially to those who are the least of these, Mm -hmm. the weakest, those people that need the most help, right? Yeah. Are we doing harm to them? And that's a good lens to look through Mm -hmm. as we're trying to figure out which character are we in this little story? I'd love to be the anointed one, but probably not the anointed one. Well, the um, anointed one gets killed. That's what I was (laughs) going to (laughs) say. At least one of them. But at the same time, there's been a lot of like questions about the anointed, one. And I think that tribulation or rapture lore has brought about this idea that like this could be in the Antichrist or like how should we be reading this in light of you know that type of
2: theology? I think it helps, again, to read this in its historical context and recognize that this is probably alluding to events that happened in the past. You know, this isn't Gabriel telling Daniel, here's what's going to happen 2000 or who knows how many, you know, years from now and it has no bearing on your life. It's 490 years in a sense, but it's 490 years of lived experience that begin with the experience that you are having right now. And that's the nature of the way I read prophecy in general. I think that way too often in America, in Western society, we've picked up the books of the prophets and we aren't reading Isaiah from beginning to end. We aren't reading Jeremiah. We're taking individual verses that we've heard and applying them to what's going on in America or Britain or Russia or China or whatever in the world today. And that's not how you're supposed to read the prophets, just like we're doing right now with Daniel. You're supposed to read it from beginning to end, absorb what are the prophetic messages, because prophecy fundamentally is not about predicting the future. Prophecy is about critique. It's about presenting messages of critique to those who have, oftentimes we talk about abuse of power because usually it's what's happening. It's not the oppressed. It's not the little guy who's hurting the guy who has the money.
1: Do you think God still calls prophets? Because sometimes I have things I have to say, but don't know if I'm anointed to do so.
2: Well, yes, in the sense that the prophetic ministry is one of calling out sin. But it's also a ministry of presenting an alternative picture of what could be. And so what I love, you go through Isaiah, the opening chapters of the book. You get these critiques, these really hard statements by Isaiah the prophet, but then you get these alternative pictures of what the world could look like if you chose to live the way that God wanted you to live. This is the prophetic ministry. It's this balance of critique and promise, critique and promise. And when you embrace that, when you read it sensitively, you get this glimmer of hope that something could be different. And that's kind of what we get here, at least for the people who are hurting. This isn't a message of critique for the person who is strong. This is actually a message of hope for those who are hurting. It's a message that people are oppressing you. People are hurting you. They're going to continue to do this for a long time, but there's going to be an end. God's going to step in and intervene. And because of that, there's hope.
0: I think even just what you said, and the way that we are supposed to read scripture, so often a more fundamentalist view of how to read scripture is you read the scripture and then you take this little kernel of truth that applies to your life. And so often that is a warning that you're supposed to heed, right? Or inspiration. Um, Or like restriction that you're supposed to put on yourself in light of, if you do this, this destruction will happen. But what you're saying is like the way that you're supposed to read this is through the lens of hope. And regardless of what does happen, whatever season you have to go through where it's going to be difficult in God's time, you're going to be redeemed and his way is going to ultimately be better. So even when you are going through challenge, it's about hope. It's about how are you being shaped for the future? You know, how is this country being shaped for the future through the difficulties that we're going through now? How is our world doing that? And I think you make a great point in saying that like so often when we're reading prophecy or really anything, we're trying to be like nitpicking or looking for like, how does this like, how does that string connect with this? Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, here's the mark of the beast. And like, here's this person and like they've got to be one of these people and like no that's not really it one when you read it in context but also like that's such a destructive way to think about it when you
2: could be looking at it as an inspiration for hope for so many people what i would say also is that those messages the predictions we get in there they're usually predictions that we can see as being fulfilled soon after. I mean, what good is a prediction to a king of Israel when it comes 2,000 years, 3,000 years later? That's That's no no good.
0: That's why political cartoons come out every Sunday, (laughs)
2: right? So that's not a helpful way of reading the prophets, of going through and seeing what does this have to say about what's unfolding in America today. Now, we should read it through that lens after we've done the due diligence of doing the historical grammatical interpretation, trying to figure out what did this mean to those original readers. Because once you do that, you can discover the real message, the underlying principle that carries through to today. And once you've understood that, you should read it in light of America. You should read it in light of what's going on in Western society. How do these themes apply to today? Yeah. How does that critique speak to me? How does that message of hope resonate with me? And so when we do that hard work, we can begin to see what it means for us in our world. This is a lot of words to really wrap up the way that
0: you did with the commentary. So I think that's a good place for us to end. You wrote this. So rather than spending our time attempting to calculate exactly when certain events did or may yet take place, we should instead spend our energies creating communities that demonstrate the qualities that God has required of his people. Since the beginning, justice, righteousness, and self-giving love. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and eBooks for all ages, visit our Journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at willowcreekns on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.